This is about the rewards of the people of Jannah. <clears throat> the rewards of the people of Jannah. And this is very logical because what was the last section about? What was the right section before this? What was it about? Yawm al-Qiyamah itself. Right? It was about Yawm al-Qiyamah. So now we move on to the, the blessings of the believers and then the next section is going to be the punishment for the disbelievers, right? So it's very logical progression here. What will be the blessings of the people of Jannah? And Allah says, Inna ashab al-Jannah Truly, verily, remember this is some basic Arabic, everybody should memorize this. Inna is the letters of the Arabic alphabet that are, or the Arabic language that are used for emphasizing. Inna, just keep that in mind. Anything after Inna, it's one of the ways of emphasizing what's going to happen, right? And as I said yesterday, this is a technique that, frankly, we in English don't use it anymore. It's something that is gone. But in Arabic, it's very common, and it's simply meant to basically highlight, basically make it bold, okay? Inna ashab al-Jannah. The companions of the Jannah. Al-yawma fi shughulin faakihun. Today, they will be fi shughulin faakihun. Shughul means busy. They are going to be busy. And then faqihun means enjoyment. And frankly, these two words don't usually go together. Because when you're busy, you're not enjoying yourself. When you're enjoying yourself, you're not busy. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pairs what looks like an oxymoron. Linguistically or meaning-wise, it doesn't quite go together. Right? When you're enjoying yourself, the last thing on your mind is busy. And when you're busy, you're really not enjoying yourself. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the people of Jannah will be busy in enjoyment. And the goal or the purpose here being that, they will perpetually, they'll have so much to do, it's going to be like they're busy. But what are they going to do? Enjoying themselves. And notice here, that the types of enjoyment are left to the imagination. What we're going to enjoy ourselves with is just lots of different things. And then only some are mentioned. But the point being that they'll have such a variety of things to keep themselves busy that they're just going to have, they're going to be overwhelmed. What am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? This is the impression being given. إِنَّ أَصْحَابَ الْجَنَّةِ الْيَوْمَ فِي شُغُلٍ فَاكِهُونَ Notice as well, by the way, I forgot to point out, that Yawm al-Qiyamah, it was described from the perspective of the Kuffar. The Muslims on Qiyamah are not mentioned. The Muslims on Yawm al-Qiyamah are not mentioned. Why? Two reasons. Number one, they will not have those punishments or difficult scenarios as the kuffar will. And number two, it's going to be only a prelude to the real Jannah. So it doesn't deserve any mention. It's like when you enter the lobby to check into the hotel, you're not interested in the lobby. It's just a millisecond, you just do the formalities, you know, give them your credit card, this and that, then go up to the room. Nobody mentions the lobby. And for the believers, Qiyamah will just be like this breeze, go through and then check in. They want to get to the room of Jannah. Right? So the entire process of Qiyamah for the believers simply glossed over. No need to mention it. And this is proven in the ahadith that our Prophet said that Qiyamah for the believer will be like the time between Asr and Maghrib. It just goes by like this. 
It's going to go by. Between Asr and Maghrib is the shortest of the two salawat, right? You put Asr before you know it is Maghrib time. This is what it's going to be like for the believers. And for the believers, it's going to zoom by. Whereas for the rejecters of Allah it's going to take forever and ever. And then as Allah says, إِنَّ أَصْحَابَ الْجَنَّةِ نُمَا فِي شُغُرِ فَاكِهُونَ هُمْ وَأَزْوَاجُهُمْ Them and their wives or their spouses فِي ظِلَالٍ عَلَى الْأَرَائِكِ مُتَّكِئُونَ فِي ظِلَالٍ They will be in shade. عَلَى الْأَرَائِكِ And أَرَائِكِ Arika is a raised couch. It's like a sofa, what we call a sofa. مُتَّكِئُونَ Leaning back. So notice. They're going to be, number one, with their companions, with their wives. And this shows us that of the blessings of Jannah is companionship with those whom we love. Yes, there's physical elements. Yes, there's sexual elements. Yes, there's fruits. Yes, there's drink. Yes, there's... But there's also companionship. Talking, enjoying, reminiscing. We are told in a hadith, that the, that the people of Jannah will talk about what happened to them in this world. Do you remember such and such a day that happened? Do you remember this and this happened? Do you remember that guy we used to hang around with all of this? So, one of the aspects of Jannah, and of course back then your memories are going to be perfect. Everything will come back, right? You are not going to have some empty spots like what happened. No, everything Allah will give it to you. So there will be plenty of time to discuss with your friends. Plenty of time to reminisce. And... As the Prophet said, the believer will be with those whom he loves. So of the blessings of Jannah is to be with your family. Of the blessings of Jannah is to be with your children, with your spouse, with your husband, with your wife. Hum wa Them and their wives or their spouses. Shall be in shade. Jannah will never be too hot, never be too cold. It's always going to be perfect. And the person will be sitting in the shade, and this means that they're going to be surrounded by trees. They're going to be surrounded by trees, because the trees are the ones that give you shade. عَلَى الْأَرَائِكِ On sofas, reclining. مُتَّكِئُونَ And the posture of مُتَّكِئُونَ, of اتِّكَاءِ is the ultimate posture of relaxing, of chilling out, right? That's literally what you do. Like in this culture, you take a beach chair and you just sit down and you sip your cocktails or whatever, right? It's in our nature that to just lean back a little bit, not fully lie down, not fully sit up, somewhere in the middle. That this is where we are completely just like, what is it, lazy boy? It's not called the lazy boy chair, right? That's literally called the lazy boy posture, right? That's exactly what muttaki'un is. And this posture can only be done when you have no worries at all, when you're just enjoying the moment, and the people of Jannah will be perpetually muttaqibun for as long as they want. Hum wazwajum fi dhalalin ala raiki muttaqibun. Lahum fiha faqiha. Lahum fiha faqiha. They shall have all types of fruits, and faqiha does not just mean apples. This is a common misconception. It's generic. Fakiha means fruits. Generic. All types of fruits. Lahum fiha fakiha. Walahum ma yadda'oon. And they shall have anything they desire. Anything they want. Walahum ma yadda'oon. And the details are no need to be given because it is more eloquent to simply say 
you shall have whatever you want. Leave it open. No need to list one, two, three, four, because that will limit the imagination. Rather, let it be open. And this is proven in the hadith that once uh, a man came to the Prophet and he said, O Messenger of Allah, I love to plant seeds. I love to farm. I'm a farmer. I love to plant seeds. Will I be able to plant up there? Will I be able to, you know, uh, do my agriculture up there? I have a green thumb. Will I be able to do it up there? So the Prophet gave him a detailed description. Yes, and every seed you plant, it will become the biggest and this and that. At which one of the Muhajirun said, O Messenger of Allah, this man surely must be from the Ansar, because as for us, we hate to plant stuff. Okay, We have no pleasure in the garden. And I can definitely sympathize with that sentiment, right? So each of us is different, right? Some of us would like intellectual conversations, deep conversations, right? You know, some of us would want to go plant. Some of us would want to, uh, uh, somebody, some child asked me that, can I take my pet to Jannah with me? <laughs> yes. So I said, I said, yes, once you get to Jannah, you can have whatever pet you want. Yes. He wanted to have his pet with him. Yes, anyone, once you get there, you can have whatever you want up there. They will have anything that they desire. And this is the beauty of the Quran. They just left it uh, open. And there are other verses that also mention the same thing, that they shall have whatever their hearts desire. And the ahadith are also open in this regard, very explicit. That the Prophet says that Allah will say to the least person of Jannah, desire whatever you want. And he will desire and desire and desire. Whatever he can imagine, he will think it. And then Allah will tell him, you shall have all of this and ten times this much. And that's the least person of Jannah. Right? That's the least person of Jannah. You should have all of this and ten times. And that's because he could only imagine limited things, right? And so he got all that he imagined times ten. As for those who are beyond this least, as the Qur'an says, they have things that the eyes have never seen, and the ears have never heard, and the mind has never even thought of. Right? This guy, he's the lowest person, he only got what he could imagine, and ten times that. As much as he could imagine, and ten times that. And he's happy. But imagine those who are higher than him, they are not told to. They will be given things that are beyond their imagination. And then Allah mentions the best of all things that they will be given. Salam. They will be given something far better than anything they can desire. They will be given something far more important than their limited imaginations. And that is Salam. A greeting of peace. Salam, it shall be a speech. It will be said to them, Salam, who is saying it? This is a word from a very merciful Lord. Their merciful Lord will tell them, Salam. Salamun awlam min rabbir rahim. And the greeting of Allah in Jannah with Salam is the ultimate Salam. Because of Allah's names is As-Salam. As-Salam al-Mu'min al-Muhammad al-Aziz. Of Allah's names is As-Salam. And the meaning of As-Salam, one of the meanings of As-Salam, is the one who has no evil. And of the meanings of As-Salam is the one free of any fault and imperfection. And of the meanings of As-Salam is the one who grants Salam. The one who grants Salam. And granting Salam means to free yourself from any evil. 
So when you say to your Muslim brother, Assalamu alaikum, you're basically saying, May no harm come to you, which is what we call in English peace. That's not the meaning of salam peace. Assalam is the absence of any harm, the absence of any irritation. And so when you say Assalamu alaikum, you're basically saying to your brother or your sister, I'm not going to harm you. How can I harm you when I'm telling you Assalamu alaikum? And you're making dua for him, may no one else harm you. And you're also making dua, may Allah be upon you. As-salam meaning Allah. May Allah be with you and for you and upon you. As-salamu alaykum. All of this is embodied in the salam. By the way, given a khutbah about the salam, you can find it online. I talk about the meanings of salam and the etiquettes of salam. And what does it, uh, you know, the times and whatnot. So that's uh, something uh, separate from the topic. But the point being, when Allah says as-salam, this means that no harm can ever come to you after that. Because when Allah tells you no harm, then khalas, that's it, you've made it. And that is why Jannah is called, what is Jannah called? Darus Salam. Jannah is called Darus Salam. It is the abode of Salam. And the Darus Salam is the blessing that As-Salam gives to those who believed in As-Salam. Allah Azza wa Jal will give it to those who believed in Him. And therefore, when they enter Jannah, Allah will say to the people of Darus Salam, Salam. And once Allah says Salam, khalas, for all of eternity and infinity, you shall live in peace and joy and comfort. Because Allah's Salam can never be taken back. Allah salam can never, nothing can harm you after that. So Allah is saying, Salamun qawlam min Rabbil Rahim. And this is of the best blessings, along with seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah's speech and Allah's vision. These are the best blessings that are given to the people of Jannah. Salamun qawlam min Rabbil Rahim. And of course, the <coughs> blessings of seeing Allah and the blessings of Allah Azza speaking to the believers is something that is narrated mutawatir in Islam and we firmly believe this and ask Allah Azza to make us of those people who see him and who uh, hear him and who speak with him the ahadith are very clear that when Allah will ask the people of Jannah is there anything else I can do for you and the people of Jannah will say what else can we desire have you not made our faces bright, shining bright? Have you not forgiven our sins? Have you not done this and that? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, I shall give you now something better than all of this. I shall give you my perpetual pleasure, my rida, that you will have for all of eternity. And so this conversation itself is a blessing. And Allah's speech is a blessing. And looking at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a blessing. All of this is going to be up before the people of Jannah. The opposite of this is the isolation of the disbelievers, the punishment for the sinners, and their rebuke on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Their rebuke on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish them. And this is the opposite. Now notice, the people of Jannah, they've already entered Jannah. Yet, in this series of passages, now we're going back to Yom Al-Qiyamah. Now we're going back to... They haven't, been, they haven't been dealt with yet. Right? The people of Jannah, they're in the 
what is it called? That fast track, right? Just go through, you know, in the airport, right? Carpooling, car fast lane and carpooling. Okay, <laughs> whatever you guys in LA understand better. Okay, <laughs> small free carpooling. Okay, <laughs> so the people of Jannah, they're basically they don't have to worry about Yom Al Qiyamah. So we get immediately to their pleasures. However, we haven't been done with the Mujrimun. So let's go all the way back to Yom Al Qiyamah now. And as for the people of Jahannam, Wamtazul Yawma Ayyuhal Mujrimun. O Mujrimun, O sinners, Imtazu means to separate yourself. Get away, get apart. Separate yourselves. Meaning over here that the separation will be multiple. Firstly, you will separate yourselves from the believers. So those who don't have the carpooling lane, right? Get back to the traffic jams. Get back. Go to the others. And also, the people will separate themselves into categories. So we know that every religion will be by its own category. The polytheists in their own category. The munafiqun in their own category. And they will know which category to go, or they will inherently go, whether, or the angels will drag them into those categories. However, however they get there, they will be separated into various categories. And Allah mentions this in many verses in the Quran, that one of the characteristics of Yawm Al-Qiyamah is that people will be separated into categories. Yawm Al-Qiyamah, for example, the Surah Rum, verse 43. On that day, they shall be separated. On that day, they shall be cleaved apart, right? Uh, Allah says, on the day of judgment, on that day, they're going to be made into different groups. So, one of the images of Yawm Al-Qiyamah is shepherding people into different groups. And this is what the reference here is. That on today, O Mujrimun, be separated into, be separated into various groups. Notice over here, by the way, the fact that Allah Azza wa Jal mentions uh, in the previous verses, go back, look at what Allah says about people of Jannah. Today. Whereas, for the non-Muslim, for the kafir, Today, this day, you're going to be separated. So, for the believers, and again, this is I've said this many times before, the Yawm Al-Qiyamah is not even something, it's just a blip. And the real day for them is going to be in Jannah. And as for the Kafir, every single element is going to be a long eternal torture. As for the ones who rejected Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they have to worry about the judgment of the Qabr, the punishment of the Qabr, and then the Qiyamah itself, and then the Jahannam. And every point is going to get worse, uh, from the next one is going to get worse and worse. So today, O, o Mujrimun, be separated from the, from the believers and separate yourselves into groups. Alam a'ahad ilaykum is the first person. And Allah is warning them directly. Did I not tell you? Did I not promise you? Did I not leave you with this piece of advice? Didn't I warn you? Ya Bani Adam, O children of Adam, Allah ta'abudu shaytan, that you not worship the shaytan. He is indeed an open enemy to you. And the worshipping of shaitan, of course, we all understand that worshipping over here means obeying. Because the essence of 
Worship is obedience. Worshiping doesn't just mean prostrating. Worshiping doesn't just mean taking as a God. The essence of obedience, the essence of worship, excuse me, is obedience. So Allah is saying, didn't I tell you not to listen to the shaitan? Verily, he is for you an open and clear enemy. And of course, Allah has said this numerous times in the Quran. He told it to our father Adam before he entered Jannah. Before Adam even entered Jannah, Allah told him that, Oh Adam, shaitan is your mortal enemy. And in Jannah, he was warned. And once he was kicked out of Jannah, he was warned. And when Adam is coming out to this earth, Allah tells Adam, tell your children that this is your enemy. And every prophet is warning his people about Iblis and this enemy that is misguiding us. And then on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, Allah will tell us, didn't I tell you? Alam a'ad ilaykum, ya bani Adama, alla ta'budu shaytan, not to worship the shaytan. He is indeed an open enemy to you. Wa'ani'buduni, and instead worship me. <coughs> worship me alone, obey me alone. And this, of course, combines the two pillars of our kalima, negation and affirmation. Remember from Light of Guidance, negation and affirmation. Do not worship the shaitan, do not worship falsehood, worship me alone. Eliminate everything negative and then affirm only one, and that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَأَنِعْبُدُونِي هَذَا صِرَاطٌ مُسْتَقِيمٌ This is indeed the straight path. Notice here, there's a reference to the straight path that is mentioned in the beginning of Yasin. We're coming to the end of Yasin, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala references what is the straight path. Right? Ala siratin mustaqim. Here, hada siratin mustaqim. Allah references in Yasin what is the siratin mustaqim. And the siratin mustaqim is the worship of Allah and the rejection of other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَقَدْ أَضَلَّ مِنْكُمْ And indeed, shaitan, the reference here is to shaitan, has caused many generations, many people before you to be led astray. Jibillan kathira. Many generations, large groups, he has caused to be astray. Afalam takunu ta'qinun. Why won't you understand? And notice here there is a very strong emphasis because you could say in Arabic, Afala ta'qinun. Don't you understand? But then there's an emphasis here, Afalam takunu ta'qinun. Why won't you understand? There's a strong rhetorical advice uh, uh, message being given here. That when will you pay heat? So it basically is as if they're being told, look, if you're not going to pay heat to me, if you're not going to take warning from me, then learn from history. Learn from the people before you. Learn from the past nations. Where are they now? I have destroyed them. Shaytan has caused them to go astray. Why don't you benefit from that? We're talking about Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And now Jahannam will be brought forth in front of them. This is it right here. And we are told in the Hadith and even in the Quran. On that day, Jahannam will be brought out in front of them. And they will be told, this is the Jahannam. So they will see Jahannam itself and they will be told, This is the very Jahannam that you were promised. This is the very Jahannam that you were told existed, but you rejected it. And ironically, those who believe in Jahannam will be safe from it. And those who don't believe in it will be punished in it. You must believe in Jahannam, 
and work to save yourself from it in order to be saved. And so Allah will tell them, I promised it for you, you didn't believe my promise, here it is. هَذِهِ جَهَنَّمُ الَّتِي كُنْتُمْ تُوْعَدُونَ Because you rejected it, إِصْلَوْهَا الْيَوْمَ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَكْفُرُونَ إِصْلَوْهَا means burn. Salah means to burn here. إِصْلَوْهَا Burn in it. بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَكْفُرُونَ Notice again, الْيَوْمَ Right? Because for the so many times the non-Muslims are taught الْيَوْمَ 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 Every day is a punishment for them. Right? Every day is a torture for them. إِصْلَوْهَا الْيَوْمَ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَكْفُرُونَ Burn in it today because of your kufr, because you have rejected. إِصْلَوْهَا الْيَوْمَ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَكْفُرُونَ الْيَوْمَ نَخْتِمُ عَلَىٰ أَفْوَاهِهِمْ الْيَوْمَ نَخْتِمُ عَلَىٰ أَفْوَاهِهِمْ Because there will be no injustice, because there's not going to be any dhulm, I will not call any external witnesses to testify against you. Rather, I shall cause you to testify against yourself. And today we shall give power to your feet, to your own hands, and your body will tell us what they used to do. And this is something that Allah Azza wa mentions very explicitly, Surah Fussalat verse 21. Surah Fussalat verse 21, that Allah says that their eyes and their ears and their skins will testify to what they used to do and they will tell their skins, why did you testify against us? And how could you do this? And their own skins will respond back. They're having a conversation with themselves. And their own skins will respond back. Allah caused us to speak as He causes everything else to speak. Everything else, how does it speak? How does it praise Allah? How does our tongue speak? Allah causes it to speak. So that the skins will testify that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused it to speak. And so, الْيَوْمَ نَخْتِمُ عَلَىٰ أَفْوَاهِهِمْ Their lips shall be sealed. They will not be able to speak. And their hands will speak and their feet will testify as to that which they used to do. Their hands will speak and their feet will testify. And notice that the hands will do the speaking the feet will do the testifying. Because, generally speaking, it is the hands that embrace that which is evil. The hands are the main culprits. They will be do the speaking. And the feet only brings us there. So the feet will witness. The feet will be the witnesses, but the main testimony will come from the hands. Their hands are going to speak. And their feet will testify. We were here, we were there, we want this, we want that. But the hands will be the ones talking. That they will be uh, talking about what they did, what they used to earn. And if it had been our will, if we had wanted to. Now these series of verses are quite a lot of interpretation. What is the reference uh, to these verses? So, first let's translate and then see what are some of the interpretations. وَلَوْ If we had wanted to, لَطَمَسْنَا عَلَىٰ أَعْيُنِهِمْ We would wipe away their eyes. لَطَمَسْنَا عَلَىٰ أَعْيُنِهِمْ And they would be blinded. فَاسْتَبَقُوا الصِّرَاطَ So they would be struggling to find the path. فَأَنَّا يُبُصِرُونَ And how do you expect them to find it if they cannot even see it? If they cannot even see it. So, one interpretation here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about a physical taking away. 
that if Allah had wanted to, we could make them physically blind. And they would not be able to find a physical path, How can they find it when they are blind? Or, another interpretation, we would take away their eyesight, and in fear and desperation, they would want to find the true path. So the sirat here means sirat al-mustaqim, not just any path. We would, take away the, we would take away their eyesight, and they would, in desperation, want to find the guidance. But it is too late, because the punishment has already come, and they are perpetually blinded. So, we can say the ayah could be literal, meaning that literal a path, or it could be metaphorical, meaning the sirat al-mustaqim. And the point being that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, if we wanted to, we have so much power over them, we could take away their physical eyesight, and then the, an interpretation says, a spiritual eyesight, i.e. the eyesight that sees that guidance, the eyesight that is the eyesight of the heart, and not the eyes of the, uh, of the skull. So Allah Azza wa could be referencing both, and uh, both meanings are completely valid uh, from uh, a linguistic perspective. And then Allah says, walaw nasha. So what is the point of these walaw nasha, walaw nasha? The point is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referencing the power that he has over the Quraysh and those who reject him. That Allah is saying, at any point in time, we could make you blind. At any point in time, we could masakhnahum. And masakha means to transform into something else. Masakha means to transform into another animal, another creature, to disfigure. If we wanted to, we could transform them to an entirely other creature, even as they stand in their places. Nor They could neither go forward nor backward. But if these two threats will not move you, if you're not going to be scared that Allah can take away your powers, or Allah can immobilize you, now the masakha could be to another animal, the masakha could be to an inanimate object. You could become a pillar of salt, you could become a statue, you could become this or that. If Allah wanted to, He could do this. If that's not going to threaten you, if that's not going to move you, then surely realize that time is not on your side. Because for how long are you going to live? You want to live forever. But don't you see, وَمَن نُعَمِّرْهُ نُنَكِسْهُ فِي الْخَلْقِ don't you see that living forever is not good? That whoever lives for a very long time, he becomes senile, he goes crazy, he goes back to his infantile state. Those who live for the longest time, and that's what you want, you're eager for long life, you think that's going to save you, even this. Are you sure you want this? Because the one who lives a long life, he goes back to how he started. Go back to the beginning. Will you not think and ponder over this? Meaning, of course, that the one who lives a very long time, physically and mentally, he becomes like a child. So much so that we seek Allah's refuge and this is a dua of the Prophet. Allah, I seek refuge in you from being allowed to live until the oldest of age. We don't want to live until that age. When, astaghfirullah, we are like an infant, even we cannot go to the bathroom and somebody has to take care of us. And uh, we don't have our consciousness and we're not cognitive anymore. We don't want to live that long. And there's a dua of the Prophet that I seek refuge in you from living to that 
state. We want to go when we're somewhat healthy, when we can take care of ourselves. And so Allah is saying, you who are greedy for an eternal life, you think that's going to save you, but you're forgetting even this is going to be a punishment. Those whom we give a long life, we turn them around as they began. As it was from the beginning, that physically and emotionally and intellectually they go back to being a child like a baby. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't you think about this before it is too late to comprehend. <coughs> this is exactly what Allah says, Surah Al-Nahl verse 70, that وَمِنْكُمْ مَا يُرَدُّ إِلَىٰ أَرْضَ الْعُمُرِ لِكَيْ لَا يَعْلَمَ بَعْدِ عِلْمٍ شَيْئًا Some of you live to such a long age that you go back to knowing nothing after you knew a lot. You go back to knowing nothing. SubhanAllah, how many amongst us, we have elders in our family, in our relatives and whatnot. And Allah Azza has tested them and us, both of us. Them and us. We have to take care of them. And they are getting their sins forgiven. If they were righteous, this is something that inshallah their ranks are being raised through it, right? But it's also a test for us. And Allah Azza wa is mentioning this in the Quran and also in Surah Al Rum, verse 54. Allah says, Allah created you in weakness. Then Allah gave you power after weakness. Then Allah will give you weakness and old age after being powerful. And this is the cycle of life. We start off powerless, we become healthy and strong, and we think we, mashallah, can control the world. Especially when we're in our early 20s and whatnot, you know, that's the time now, mashallah. You think khalas, but subhanallah, your father and grandfather went through the same stage, your grandmother, your grand, everybody went through the same stage. It's the infinite cycle of life, right? Just like you now feel at the prime of your youth, your beauty, your power, your, your, your everything. Realize it's only a few, few, literally, few minutes. Wallahi, every one of us, we think 5, 10, 20 years, how quickly it went by, right? Talk to your parents, talk to your grandparents if they're alive. And they will reminisce about 50 years ago as if it was yesterday. And Wallahi, it is yesterday for them. Before you know it, brothers and sisters, you will be, you will have your own children, your own grandchildren. This is the cycle of life. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is hinting at and alluding to in these series of verses. Let's summarize some of the benefits and then open the floor for QA and then give you guys uh, your break. Some of the benefits from all of these uh, selections of verses. Of the benefits here, that Allah's justice demands separation for believers and unbelievers. They will not even stand in the same place. From the very beginning, they will have differences. And of the benefits we learn here, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His infinite wisdom and justice, He is telling us what to expect on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Didn't I warn you? Didn't I tell you? This is the Jahannam that you denied? Look at the whole theme here. This is not a surprise for you. You should have known all this because I told you. And this is of Allah's infinite mercy to us. Can you imagine if in a class the teacher comes in and announces, this will be your exam. And he writes it down the first day of class. Can you imagine? For the entire semester you're like, Alhamdulillah, no big deal, I know exactly what's going to happen. Well, that's what Allah has done for us. 
has given us the questions, told us when and where, all the details, it's all here. Everything is there. And this, this series of verses really proves this. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I show you? Didn't I warn you? This is the Jahannam that you were promised. Everything is as I said. There was no tricks. So this is of the benefits we learn here. We also learn from this selection, from this uh, section of verses, that shaitan is the source of evil and he has led astray many, many millions of people, countless nations. We also learn from this the fact that we should learn from previous histories. It is in fact the sign of a Muslim that he benefits from the examples of others. It's the sign of the Muslim that he studies what has happened to others, nations, the rise and fall of uh, the problems that have afflicted the previous Umams and then to benefit lessons from that in his own life. Also we learn that the very blessings that we have <coughs> shall be turned against us if we use them to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our very hands, our very feet, those very things will turn against us. We also learn from the selection of verses that we should never take any blessing for granted. That if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills, any blessing can be taken away. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that if He wanted to, He could take away our eyesight. And of course the eyesight is mentioned because it is the most precious of all of our faculties. The faculty we rely on the most. And when we're deprived of it, it is the most painful to be deprived of. Is that of the eyes. And so that's why the eyes are mentioned. And... The fact that even our bodies, Allah says, don't be deluded. If I wanted to, I could make them immobile. And of the blessings we learn here is that there is no permanent blessing of this world. The blessing of this world, which is the most highly prized, and that is life itself, can become torture if we have it for too long. Even life itself, if you live for a long period of time, this is something that will bring about torture and punishment because... The only ultimate benefit and blessing is the blessing of the Akhirah. Even this dunya, even if Allah were to give it to you for a long time, it would in fact become painful, it would become torturous. So, don't want the blessings of this world. Concentrate more on the blessings of the Akhirah. Now, after mentioning the two pillars of religion, and that is worshipping Allah, Tawheed, and believing in the Day of Judgment, it is uh, Akhirah, now Allah Azza wa mentions the final of the three pillars. There are three fundamental pillars, Tawheed, Risala, Akhirah. And the previous section mentions Tawheed, and mentions worshipping Allah, and mentions Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Mentions all about the pillars of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Now we mention the third and final pillar, and that is the pillar of belief in the Prophets. And what is the role of the uh, Prophets? And he mentions the descriptions of the Prophets and some of the uh, responsibilities that he has been given, some of the characteristics that he has. And Allah Azza wa says, <coughs> We did not teach him poetry. Nor is poetry befitting of him. In huwa illa dhikrun wa Qur'anun mubeen. This is nothing other than a dhikr. And a dhikr means a reminder. 
and a Qur'an al-Mubin, a clear Qur'an. So, the Quraysh are being told, this is not poetry, he's not a poet, you all knew this, and you knew that he never wrote any poetry, and neither did we teach him poetry at the age of 40, and yet, here he is, reciting this beautiful Qur'an, in a style and a manner that is completely unprecedented in the Arabic language. It is a unique style. It is a style that has no parallels in pre-Islamic Arabic. So where did he get this Qur'an from? Rather, it is a dhikr and a Qur'an mubin. This is a dhikr that reminds you of your Lord, reminds you of your purpose in life, reminds you of the Akhirah, and it is a clear Qur'an, a Qur'an that has come down so that you can understand it. The purpose of the Qur'an is to warn those who have life. And the life referred to here is the life of the heart. It is the life of the soul. It is spiritual life. And this shows us again and again that Allah's qadr doesn't just come out of nowhere. Those who have some good will find guidance in the Qur'an. Those who have a beating heart, a spiritual heart, will find life in the Qur'an. لِيُنْذِرَ مَنْ كَانَ حَيًّا وَيَحِقَّ الْقَوْلُ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ And as for those who don't have that life, the word of Allah, يَحِقَّ الْقَوْلُ shall be proved true against them. And حَقَّ الْقَوْلُ It literally means the word shall be proved true. The qadr will come into effect and they will not believe. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions some final signs. The surah is winding up now. Awalam yarau. Don't they see some other blessings that we have given them? Don't they see? It's not hidden from them. It's staring at them in the face. They utilize these blessings every single day. What have we done? Awalam yarau anna khalaqna lahum. That we have created for them. Mimma amilat aydina. That which our hands have done. Now the meaning of amilat aydina in the plural, uh, it means that, uh, it is an Arabic expression that means that it is from our efforts. It is from our efforts. It does not mean, by the way, uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fashioned animals with his hands. Rather, Allah only fashioned us with his hands. And the reason that we know this is because he referred to that in the singular, that I did that. Whereas when it comes over here, it is the plural, and the plural makes it a very different meaning. And the plural, when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, generally speaking, when Allah references Himself in the plural, He is talking about Himself along with the angels. Himself along with the angels. And so Allah is saying, we are the ones who have done this. It is our product. We have made for them cattle, an'am. فَهُمْ لَهَا malikun. And we have allowed them to own these cattle. Once again, the blessing is being ascribed to Allah, even though the Quraysh want to ascribe it to themselves. Allah is saying, we have allowed you to own these cattle. We are the ones who created them, and we have given them to you so that you can benefit. And, وَذَلَّلْنَاهَا لَهُمْ We have made them docile. The cattle are docile. You can control them. Even though they are heavier than you, they are bigger than you, they could technically kill you if they wanted to. But we have made them such that they are scared of you. And you are masters over them. And these are all of the domesticated animals, right? 
These are all of the domesticated animals. We have subdued them for you. Some of them you ride. Some of them you eat. And you have other benefits as well. <coughs> and you have drink as well. Don't they give thanks? Now, notice over here, Allah is mentioning yet another miracle. A miracle that should make you humble, a miracle that should make you closer to Him, a miracle that should make you appreciate Him and Yawm Al-Qiyamah, life and death, the life of the animals, the control of the animals, the blessings of the animals. And Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala says, أَفَلَا يَشْكُرُونَ Why don't they thank me for all of these blessings? And these blessings of the animals, Allah mentions, you ride some, you eat some, you drink from some, and that is the milk that all of us drink, and you have other benefits. There are many other benefits from animals. You use them for manual labor, you transport your goods on them, uh, fur, all of this. And there are so many uh, blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explicitly mentions when it comes to animals. Uh, in other verses, Allah mentions, you make your houses out of animals, meaning skins, tents. In other verses, Allah mentions about animals that uh, you carry your goods on it. You carry your goods on animals and you go to lands you would never be able to go to, except with extreme difficulty because of these uh, animals. And Allah specifically mentions the camel for traveling in the desert. And Allah says, don't they look at the camel? How was it created? So all of these blessings of the animals, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to think about. But instead of thanking Allah, أَفَلَا يَشْكُرُونَ What do they do? وَاتَّخَذُوا مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ آلِهَا Rather than attributing it to Allah and thanking Allah, they do the opposite. And they invent gods. They invent other than Allah gods. These are not real gods, they have invented them. They are the ones that have manufactured them. And what do they hope from these gods? They hope these gods will help them. Hoping they might be helped. And then Allah says so powerfully, so powerfully, so eloquently. It's a very powerful verse here. Not only not only do these gods not help them, not only can they not help them, rather, وَهُمْ لَهُمْ جُنْدٌ مُحْضَرُونَ translates as, now this is, uh, two meanings can be uh, interpreted here. The first meaning is in front of you. They will be brought forth as a troop against those who worship them. Meaning that the people themselves who worship these false gods, Allah will assemble them. And Allah will gather them like an army, like a troop. And they will be punished at the testimony of these false gods. This is one interpretation. So for example, Jesus Christ, on the day of judgment, He will testify against those who took Him as a god. And He will say, I didn't tell them to do this. They did it of themselves. So this is one interpretation. That they will be gathered together like armies. <coughs> and these armies basically they will be testified against these false gods. The false gods, the angels, the malaika, uh, Jesus Christ, they're false gods by the Christian's uh, standards. They will say, 
Oh Allah, we didn't tell them to worship us, is their fault. And Allah explicitly mentions this in the Quran. Uh, and on the day of judgment, these gods will deny your shirk of them. And on the day of judgment, these gods will do kufr of your shirk. It's beautiful. They will do kufr of your shirk. Your shirk, they will say, we had nothing to do with this. So how foolish are you to worship a being, that very being will reject you on the day of judgment. This is one interpretation. Another interpretation, These gods will not help them. Rather, وَهُمْ These people, لَهُمْ for these false gods, Jundum Muhdarun have to become armies to fight on behalf of. In other words, the pagan Arabs are fighting each other over their false gods. Not only are these gods not protecting you, you are the ones that have to protect your gods when somebody attacks them. You are the Jund, you are the armies that have to protect the gods. And here you are foolishly worshipping them, whereas in reality, you need to defend them. And of course Allah mentions this in the Qur'an, that they defend their gods when the food and the, and the butter is placed in front of them. Then they have to swat the flies away, nobody should take from our gods. Right? They have to protect from their own gods. How can these gods protect you? So this is another interpretation. وَهُمْ لَهُمْ جُنْدٌ مُحْضَرُونَ Rather, Allah is saying, لَا فَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ قَوْلُهُمْ فَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ قَوْلُهُمْ How then should you, O Messenger of Allah, why should you be hurt by their rejection? Look at how foolish they are. By worshipping these false gods, why are you then hurt that they've rejected you? They have no brains. They're foolishly worshipped an idol. So you should not be worried. When they make fun of you, when they reject you, don't worry about it. You should not grieve. Notice, Allah consoles the Prophet so many times through the Yaseen. Allah calms him down so many times. And this shows us the status of the Prophet and the love that Allah has for him. Let them not grieve you. If this is their state, Ya Rasulullah, don't be sad about what they say, about what they claim, for we are well aware of what they say in public and what they truly believe in private. We know in public they mock you and in private they're scared of you. We know in public they accuse you of lying and in private they know that you cannot be a liar. And this is well known. That uh, Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, <coughs> the father of Khalid, Khalid ibn al-Walid, the father of Khalid, Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, and he was their uh, most famous poet. He was their most famous poet in Quraysh. That uh, Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, he himself said to the Quraysh, you know that he's not a poet, and yet he's coming forth with this poetry. You know that he's not a madman, because we've known him for his life. You know that he's not this, you know that he's not that. And yet, when he was forced to say something in public, he said, this must be a type of magical poetry. And this is in the Qur'an, Surah Al-Muddathir. Surah Al-Muddathir, the first ayat of Surah Al-Muddathir. This is about Walid ibn al-Mughira. 
And he knew what he is saying is a lie. And he admitted this to the Quraysh. And yet still he is saying this because he has no other thing to say. So Allah is saying, We know exactly what they say in public and what they say in private. Now, uh, before we move on, some interesting uh, points over here. And that is that our Prophet ﷺ, he was not a poet. And it is clearly mentioned, We didn't teach him poetry. And yet it is authentically narrated that our Prophet would listen to poetry. And at times, at times, he participated in saying poetry. It is authentically narrated that at times he participated in saying poetry. And there are numerous occasions where this has occurred. Does anybody know any one of them? When our Prophet participated in saying poetry. When? What? Yes? I just uh, know the, uh, about the, the glasses or something you mentioned and then he said it... Uh, no, that's not poetry. It was poetic, but not poetry. Right? Yes? So the Battle of Khandaq, when they were, they were chanting? So what were they saying? Um, not sure. Not sure. <laughs> but that is correct, though. That during the Battle of Khandaq, when they were building the trench, they were all singing poetry together. And uh, as they're digging the trench, you need, you know, like it's uh, human nature. When you're all doing some manual labor together, that's why the army, for example, they have their uh, poetry or, you know, call it whatever you will. You know, when they're marching along, they have something to say. So get the monotony <coughs> away, right? Uh, no. What is it? Lawla Allaha. Same here, Prayer. God, I'm tired today. Were it not for Allah, we would not give charity, nor would we pray, nor would we have been guided. So therefore, uh, send your sakina upon us. Right, this is something that the Prophet would say, right? And also, it is authentically narrated uh, that "Lola, Lola, Lola, Wala Sadakna, Wala Salaina, Faanzilan Sakina Tan That's what it is. Okay. And this is what he was saying in the Battle of Khanda. Also, there are certain things narrated about the uh, building of the masjid. When they built the masjid, all of the people were busy in manual labor, including the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Now, how do we then understand this verse? That you cannot be a poet. When it is authentically narrated that he participated in saying poetry, and once he even quoted half a poetry, where he said the most correct statement of any poet is the statement of Labid. And that is, كُلُّ شَيْءٍ مَا خَلَى اللَّهَ بَاطِلُ Everything other than Allah is a waste. Everything other than Allah is batil. And he said, this is the most truthful line of poetry ever said. And he quoted it with his tongue. And yet Allah says, you are not a poet. How do we reconcile this? Yes. He's not the one making poetry. Exactly. He never once in his life 
initiated a line of poetry or authored a line of poetry. Okay? Never in, our, in the Prophet's life did he initiate poetry. Rather, in the few occasions where he says it, he's quoting from others or he's following what the others are doing. And so it is therefore correct to say, as Allah says, that you are not a shahir. He's not a poet. Quoting poetry does not make you a poet. It makes you a quoter of poetry. Right? And that's what our Prophet Sallallahu uh, was. And we also mentioned in the Bukhari class. Wait, I did the Bukhari class here, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was the last class I did. Yeah, in the Bukhari class, we mentioned the whole chapter about poetry. Right? The fact that poetry in and of itself is permitted, but at times it could be prohibited, and at times it could be encouraged. Remember that class? We did a whole hour long we did on poetry. Right? And we mentioned that our Prophet at times seems to discourage, at times considers it neutral, at times even praises, like he praised the most best line of poetry ever. And we explained that poetry, if it's used properly, it becomes good. If it's used excessively, it becomes makruh. And if it is used in haram or for evil, then it becomes haram. Right? And so poetry in and of itself, and I said examples of poetry in our times include the spoken word, include, include rap, include these types of things that we are uh, comfortable and familiar with. All of this, if it is used properly, it is something that is uh, allowed, and we went into detail about uh, this in the Sahih al-Bukhari class. And with that, inshallah, let us go to the final section of Surah Yasin uh, and the conclusion of Surah Yasin. Uh, and then after that, as we said, we'll have the uh, sisters' Q&A. Uh, so the final section, verses 77 to 83. The final section. The surah concludes with the main gist of the entire surah. And that is, what is the main theme of Yasin? What is it? We said this so many times. What's the main theme of Surah Yasin? Resurrection. Yawm al-Qiyamah. Proving that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can resurrect the dead. And this series of verses concludes the surah by reminding us of this inevitable reality. أَوَلَمْ يَرَ الْإِنسَانُ أَنَّا خَلَقَنَاهُ مِن نُطُفَةٍ فَإِذَا هُوَ خَصِيمٌ مُبِينٌ Does not man consider and see that we were the ones who created him from a nutfa, from a drop of sperm. فَإِذَا هُوَ خَصِيمٌ مُبِينٌ And lo and behold, even though we have been so generous and so miraculous in his creation, now he stands forth in his arrogance. And he is an open enemy, an open argumenter. Khasim is somebody who's arguing, not just an opponent, but somebody who's argumentative, somebody who's being petty and who's denying. And the reason for this revelation, we mentioned it briefly yesterday, and that is that different people mention different names. One of the names mentioned is Al-As, one of the mentions is Ubayy ibn Khalaf. Different names are mentioned. One of the Quraysh came and waved a decaying bone in front of the Prophet ﷺ and threw it in front of him. The arrogance. Just to throw it in front of the Prophet ﷺ and says, Ya Muhammad ﷺ, do you believe that do you expect me to believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will resurrect this bone after it has decayed, after it has gone to dust? And this is what 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran that this man, does he not see that we have created him from a drop of sperm? This arrogant person, Ubayy bin Khalaf or Al-Asim bin Wa'al, whoever might it have been, does he not remember where he came from? And Allah Azza wa mentions Nutfa, <coughs> because anybody who remembers his origin can never be proud. This drop of, in one verse, Allah calls it despised fluid, ma'im mahin. Everybody is embarrassed at this fluid. They want to wipe it away, they have to wash after it comes out. It's a despised fluid. This is where he came from. This is where she comes from. And Allah says, how can you be arrogant? This is what I created you from. And now you stand and you argue in front of me. Khasimun mubin. وَضَرَبَ لَنَا مَثَلًا وَنَسِيَ خَلْقًا And he makes for us a parable. He tries to outwit us. Can Allah resurrect this? And in the whole process, he forgets his own creation. وَنَسِيَ خَلْقًا you're asking, can Allah Azza wa resurrect this bone? Where did you come from? How did you become a standing, talking man? What gives you the right to challenge Allah when your own creation was even more miraculous than the resurrection of this bone? He's mocking us with an example. And even as he does this, he ignores and he forgets his own beginning. And he sarcastically asks, this is quoting from uh, uh, Ubay ibn Khalaf or Al-Asr ibn Wa'al, whoever was the person. He asks, who is the one who can bring life to this bone after it has decayed? Look at his arrogance. He himself was created from a drop of a despised fluid. Surely it is easier to recreate life from the bone than it is to create it initially from a drop of fluid. And this is the point that Allah Azza wa is saying. Surely it's easier to do it. The one who created it the first time around, he can do it all over again. The one who did it from nothing can do it from a bone. And this creator is well aware of all that man does. This creator, You doubt that he can recreate? You doubt that he can resurrect the dead? All you need to do is to look at the world around you and see the power that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has and you see it manifested in his creation. Look at this tree, the tree that is green and it is fed by water that is blue and it gives forth fire that is red and yellow and white. All of this power, look at what turns into what, and what transforms into what. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who makes this lush green tree, He is the one who turns it into a flame and a fire that you get yourselves warm from, warm from. This entire cycle of life, the one who has put this cycle of life, is the one who can recreate you. Isn't the one who has created the whole heavens and earth, isn't he capable that he can recreate everything like them, can create the likes of them, the mithlahum here is the Quraysh, that he can bring them back to life. And the Quran is very explicit that Allah says, The creation of the heavens and earth is a bigger deal than the creation of man. Allah is very clear about this, right? 
if you really wanted to judge, then the creation of the heavens and earth is a bigger thing, even though there is no such thing as difficult or easy. Everything is easy for Allah. Right? But if you wanted to say something is more difficult, then the entire cosmos around us, the galaxies and the stars, and honestly, the more you study astronomy, the more you're boggled, like how insignificant we are, right? How small and puny we are. How literally, yani we're smaller than an atom in the entire creation of these heavens, right? Our earth itself is but a speck. And it is, we are living on this speck and we think we are so mighty and magnificent. And Allah says, the one who created this whole creation, surely he can create like them. Meaning man. Bala. And Bala is of course an affirmation in the Arabic language that Bala, indeed, he can do so. And he is Al-Khalaq. Al-Khalaq is the one who creates and recreates over and over again. Al-Khalaq is the one who creates and recreates over and over again. And he is Al-Khalaq. And he is Al-Alim. And you have to be Alim to be Khalaq. You have to know in order to create. Only the one who knows is able to create. And this is the same even for us, somebody who invents or somebody who does something, he has knowledge that we don't have. He has knowledge that we do not have. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this creation shows us not only his power to create, it also shows us his knowledge. And then Allah concludes the verse by demonstrating how powerful he is, how majestic he is. All that he needs to do, all that his command is, whenever he desires to do something, he merely says, Kun, be, and indeed it is. And who else can claim this? What other power in the world has so much power to create simply by willing something and intending it for it to be? Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the ultimate creator. And therefore, what should we do with this power when we see it manifested in the creation? We should be glorifying Him and praising Him. And all praise is due to Allah. And Subhana, and Subhana means that Allah Azza wa Jal is exalted above any evil, above any deficiency. And Alhamdu means He is praised for the good in Him. So Subhana and Alhamdu are complementary. They are complementary. Alhamdulillah, we praise Allah because of who He is. We praise Allah because of His attributes. We praise Allah because of His names. We praise Allah because of His characteristics. Subhanallah, Allah Azza wa Jal is exalted above any evil. He is denied anything negative. This is Subhanallah. Right? So Subhanallah is a negation of evil. And Alhamdulillah is an affirmation of the good. And Alhamdulillah and Subhanallah are complementary to one another. So here, the point of Subhana means with so much power, how could you worship any other besides Allah? He's exalted above this. Subhanallah. He's exalted above having any other partners, any other people, intercessors. So may he be glorified and exalted above any other being. Who is this? The one in whose hands is the control of everything. How powerful is he that the entire creation is under his control? And this is the being you shall go back to. وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ And this section of verses 
we can derive some benefits from them, and then we'll derive some benefits from the entire Surah Yasin. Of this section, what we can derive benefits from? <coughs> How arrogant is man? How arrogant is man to question the power of Allah? In our times we say to question his existence. When everything around us is a testimony to his power and existence. Is it not so arrogant? The height of arrogance. When somebody says, how do I know there's a God? Prove to me a God exists. And this is what Allah is saying. Is not man ashamed to be an argumenter in front of Allah? When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created him out of nothing, out of a drop of sperm? Isn't it the height of arrogance? And to add to this arrogance, man is questioning the power of Allah. And he ignores or denies his own creation and where he came from. And in particular, as we said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, uh, in particular the, the, the nutfah. And that is because, again, this is uh, an organ of the body and it is uh, a drop that is not praiseworthy. It is not something that can make anybody proud. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions our origin and links it to uh, this so that no one can have a shred of kibbutz. Also from these we learn <coughs> that the world around us is full of signs that Allah exists and that He is powerful and that He is worthy of worship. There is no need for extra signs when the creation around us is a sign. Everything is a sign. Ibn Taymiyyah has a very famous phrase and he says, How do you expect me to go about finding proofs for the existence of God when everything other than Him is a proof of His existence. And this is a refutation for those who try to prove Allah's existence with <coughs> convoluted uh, you know, uh, philosophies and there's this argument and the cosmological argument and this argument and that argument. Ibn Taymiyyah says, how do you expect me to go about finding proof when everything is a proof of His existence? It's ridiculous to limit the proofs of Allah's existence to what the philosophers and the people do these four or five ways. It is utterly uh, ludicrous. And this is again what the Qur'an uh, references. Also, the Qur'an very explicitly says that the creation of the heavens and earth is a bigger sign for us than our own creation. So what is so difficult about the creation of life on earth? when the creation of the heavens and earth is a far more important sign. Of the benefits from this section of verses is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not tire nor does He need to do anything to create. All that He needs to do is to will and He says it be and it is and a being who is so powerful is surely the only being that is deserving of ultimate praise and ultimate worship and after all, as a reminder to you and to us, Allah Azza wa Jal says, you are going to return to me. He says to the Quraysh and to us, وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ All of us shall return to him. And with this, we have concluded the tafsir, but let us derive some broad benefits from the entire Surah Yasin. What are some of the primary lessons of the entire Surah Yasin? Of the benefits of Surah Yasin, number one, is to prove that the Prophet Muhammad is a true Prophet. And this is done by many different ways in the Quran. 
Uh, in Surah Yasin, I mean, obviously. This is done by many different ways, right? Uh, what are some of the ways in Surah Yasin that the Prophet Muhammad has proven? Plus, plus, plus words, actually. Well, the first verse, Allah Azza wa is emphasizing, إِنَّ كَلَمِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ And he's swearing, and he's giving qasam, he's giving an oath. What else? Yes? The fact that he's not a poet. Okay, the fact that he's not a poet. Where did this come from? What else? We just went over this today, fresh. Yes? So the stories of the previous nations and what happened in the past and the fact that he himself is not asking them for money. There's no motivation. And the fact that his message is a message of truth, right? All of this is demonstrated, <coughs> mentioned in the tafsir. Of the uh, primary lessons of Surah Yasin, that there are two types of people. The one are those whom, no matter what you do, they will never believe. And these people deserve that misguidance. And the other is a group that will accept the message. And we as well need to realize, not everybody will convert to Islam, no matter how clear the evidence is. Sometimes people will simply refuse to accept. Of the benefits of Surah Yasin, all deeds are recorded and everyone will be judged according to their deeds. And this is a common theme throughout the Surah from the beginning to the end. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the concept of our own deeds, our own skin testifying, our hands and feet testifying, that everything is an Imam in Mubi. This is a general theme of the Surah. Of the benefits of Surah Yasin, is the methodology of Quranic stories that we talked about this when we talked about Antioch how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses stories for da'wah and we too should use stories for da'wah we too should mention the stories of the previous nations and draw lessons from the past from history as so many times in Surah Yasin we are told think about the previous nations where are they now and the message from the story of Antioch as well <coughs> of the benefits of Surah Yasin is the types of evidences that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives for the resurrection and as we said this is one of the common themes of Yasin there's rational evidence and there's textual evidence what are some of the ways that Allah proves the resurrection in Yasin look over your notes we've mentioned quite a lot of them what are some of the ways that Allah proves the resurrection Okay, the dead earth, bring back, back, back to life. What else? Day and night. The one who is powerful to create the day and night. What else? The sun and the moon. In other words, Allah is so powerful, why can't He resurrect the dead? What else? That we come from sperm. What else? So how does that prove your nuqiyah? So a textual evidence that the Qur'an simply tells us. Yes, what else? <coughs> the one who created the first time can create, recreate again. What else? In the Surah Al-Baqarah. No, no, we're talking Yaseen now. Let's stick with Yaseen. Okay. So many other evidences, yes. How about the detailed descriptions of Yawm Al-Qiyamah? What does that prove? The one who knows what's going to happen so well, surely... He's the one who will cause it about. This is the textual proof, right? 
So Allah subhanahu uh, the, uh, the, the, the the oceans as well, by the way, the oceans, right? And the ships in the ocean, right? The fact that Allah has created basically the world as we know it. So many different ways of proving the creation. The one who can do it the first time can do it again. The one who can uh, bring about the dead life to give you fruits and vegetables from this dead soil. Now, by the way, <coughs> the concept of dead soil is probably not as common for us here in the city or especially in the fertile lands of America. This is something I did not understand fully until I lived in Saudi Arabia. That you see the desert barren land completely dry. And you think, what can possibly grow here? And that's exactly what Allah says. the dead land. And after rain falls, and it does fall once in a year or once in a year, right? You see amazingly the entire land, which was completely solid, dry, barren, yellowish, it becomes flourishing green. And there's something you really have to see to understand and believe. And I've seen this myself many times. When uh, once a year, basically, there would be a massive rainfall. And it, when it rains, it rains in those regions. Right? After that, for like two or three weeks, this whole life around you, vegetation and plants, and it's just like, it's, un, it's surreal, it really is. And you need to see this to appreciate, and this is what Allah references, the Arabs knew this very well. Right? That after the rain falls, the whole dead world comes back to life. So Allah says, the one who can bring this dead earth back to life, he can bring you back to life as well. Shaykh, uh, yeah. just want to add something here. Um, also, there's another ayah that says, where basically the, the earth shakes. And uh, they were able to calculate now that the movement is in nano, uh, but basically the, the pockets of air inside, underneath the earth the air comes out and the water goes in. So you could see like the earth actually shaking and then the plants come up. And that was actually described precisely in the Quran. Interesting. Okay, I didn't know this. Okay, interesting. Uh, so he mentioned another verse of the Quran that proves this point. Uh, of the themes of Surah Yasin <coughs> are the numerous evidences for the power of Allah. And this is from the beginning to the end. How powerful is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And the purpose of talking about his power is to show that only he is worthy of worship. Only he is worthy of being worshipped. And this is again at least a dozen verses in Yasin, talking about how powerful is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the point of this again is Tawheed and worshipping him alone. Of the uh, constant motifs of Surah Yasin, multiple times the threat of punishment or the actual punishment of those who oppose the message. The threat of punishment or the actual punishment of those who oppose the message and then contrast this with the rewards of those who accept and uh, accept the message of the Prophet Of the constant themes of Surah Yasin is to rebuke and criticize the Quraysh for rejecting what is so obvious and that is La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah there's one God, this man is a prophet. Constantly rebuking the Quraysh for rejecting the obvious. Of the themes of Surah Yasin, which is manifested in at least seven verses, is that Allah Azza wa Jal has complete power over the people 
over the creation. If he wants, he can immobilize them. If he wants, he can put a barrier. If he wants, he can put their chins up. If he wants, he can make them blind. If he wants, he can transform them. All of these different verses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is threatening the Quraysh. I have such power over you. And if you did not get transformed, if you did not get punished, don't think that the punishment is not going to come. It will come when the sayha or when the resurrection happens. Of the uh, motifs of Surah Yasin, Surah Yasin mentions so many different blessings that Allah has given us. From the animals, from the trees, from water, from fire, from vegetation, from uh, ships, from all of these blessings that Allah subhanahu wa has given us of this world. And of the motifs of Surah Yasin, the signs of creation, the signs of the world around us, and the fact that all of this shows that there will be a day of judgment. And of course, and with this we conclude, of the primary messages of Surah Yasin is only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is worthy of worship. Only He will reward you, only He will punish you, and therefore accept in Him, believe in Him, submit yourself to Him in order to gain all of those blessings and save yourself from that punishment. And with that, we conclude our tafsir of Surah Yasin.